Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. John chapter 3, and here's what it says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So notice, a ruler of the Jews. So he's not only of the Pharisees, he's a Pharisee, but he's a ruler of the Jews. This is one of the high-level rulers of the Jews. So it goes on to say, this man came to Jesus by night. Now, why did he come to Jesus by night? Well, he was hearing some things from Jesus that he knew were true, and he was learning from Jesus. So he was really a secret disciple of Jesus. So he came by night because him being a ruler and a Pharisee, he didn't want anybody to really know because this could ruin his reputation. He may even lose his prominence or his position over it because, you know, the Pharisees and the religious rulers, they wanted to get rid of Jesus because he gained popularity and was pulling crowds to himself because of the healings and the anointing. So it said, Nicodemus, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, listen to this statement, Rabbi, so he calls him teacher. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice the word we. He's a ruler, but he's from the Pharisees. And he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So these leaders that by and large did not believe Jesus, in fact, ended up being a part of those that tried to set him up to kill him, but Nicodemus said, oh, we know, we know. I mean, what's happening in your life and ministry? I mean, that, that has to be God. So that just all the more shows you why Jesus would rebuke them and call them hypocrites and, and such, because they, uh, knowing he was from God, still rebelled against him, refuted him, belittled him, and tried to set him up to be killed. But Nicodemus, obviously a more pure-hearted person, a more humble person, and really desiring the truth, he said, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. No one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus answers him, uh, with answers this commendation by saying this, it's not enough for you to know that I'm from God. You need to be born again. So he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is he doing? He's inviting him, come a little more. Uh, come a little closer, Nicodemus. Don't just believe that I'm from God. Believe in me. Believe in the son of God that was sent. So you must be born again. So Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old. So Jesus said, born again, or really that could be translated born from above. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And this is where Jesus goes into this great little teaching. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You have to be born of water and the spirit. See, this is born again two births, born of water. That's the water like when a woman's water breaks, when she's about to naturally deliver 
a child in the flesh. That's the birth by water. But then he says, you have to then be born of the spirit. This is the second birth. This is the born of your spirit. Your spirit inside is reborn from being a dead, disconnected spirit because of sin in your life to being connected with God, born right into the family of God spiritually. So unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So that's very clear that he is once again talking about the natural birth and the spiritual birth. And then he says in verse seven, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Notice Jesus just keeps repeating this. It's not enough to believe this or that or to follow certain rules and regulations. Marvel not, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. In other words, just as you don't see the wind, but you can hear the sound of the wind and you, uh, you really don't know where the wind came from and where it's going. He said, that's the way people are who are born again. They're born of the spirit. You can't see that they're born of the spirit just by looking into their soul, so to speak. You can't, you know, it's hidden from you, but you can certainly see the effects of it. Just like we see the effects of the wind, especially when, you know, a tree is swaying in the, in the wind or, you know, the branches or even a hurricane or something. Boy, you can see the effect of the wind. You may not see the wind, but you see the effect. Jesus said, this is it. When a person gets born again, you may not see his spirit inside of him, but you will see the effect in his life. He's changed from the inside out. He's a different person. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? How can somebody be born of the spirit, you know? And listen to Jesus respond. It's very interesting. And I didn't really catch it for years. Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? Interesting. He didn't say, are you a teacher of in Israel? He said, are you the teacher? So his position as a ruler of the Jews made him a prominent, if not the most prominent teacher. We don't know. But he said, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Isn't that interesting? We would think that Jesus is bringing fresh revelation because he's Jesus and this is the New Testament. So now... He's bringing New Testament theology, so to speak. But Jesus is telling him, oh, no, even from your Bible, which is what we would call the Old Testament today, still part of our Bible. But that's, you know, the Old Testament. Let me just make this point. The Old Testament is the only Bible that Jesus taught from. The Old Testament is the only Bible that all the apostles taught from. Not a one of them were teaching from the New Testament because the New Testament had not yet been written. And even as it was being written, it hadn't been assembled into a Bible. That took many years for that to happen. So we can't see the Old Testament as ir irrelevant or unnecessary or unuseful. It's like, oh no, this is the Bible Jesus taught from. This is the Bible the apostles taught from. And so every time it talks about preaching the word, they were talking about what we would call now the Old Testament. It is the word of God inspired by God. And then the New Testament was added to it, but not replacing the Old Testament, just adding to it the completion of the old covenant in the new covenant. And so Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? 
Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, and he's talking about him and the Father. We speak what we know, and likely the Holy Spirit too. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. And let me just stop right there, because this whole idea of the new birth was not introduced in the New Testament. No, it was in the Old Testament. God prophesied in the Old Testament that these things would happen. For example, uh, in the 36th chapter of Ezekiel, God prophesied that he would give a new heart. He would give people a new heart one day. Well, that's what happens when you're born again and your spirit's new, then then your heart, in essence, becomes new. In uh, Isaiah chapter, or excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 31, God was declaring that one day I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it won't be like the old covenant, but this time I'm going to write my laws in their hearts and put them in their minds. And then do you remember uh, Samuel the prophet prophesied to Saul before he was the king? He said, you're going to go and such that gave him a word of wisdom. This is what's going to happen to you. And you're going to be turned into another man. And this is exactly what it's says happened is Saul, the spirit of God came on him and he was turned into another man. That was a picture. That was an intentional prophetic picture of what happens and what would happen later in the New Testament. When people get born again, you are from the inside out turned into another man. And so Jesus is saying, are you the teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things like these are well-documented prophecies and, uh, and types and shadows of what will happen in the New Testament. See, I didn't catch that for years, but I see it clearly now. Okay, so he says, most assuredly, Jesus goes on to say, I say to you, we, him and the Father, the Holy Spirit, we speak what we know, we testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe it if I tell you, or how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has a sin. In other words, what I'm talking to you right now, these are basics. These are earthly things, earthly level things. He said, he went on to say, let me get back to this here. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, do you remember the bronze serpent that God told him to put on a pole so that the serpents that were biting the uh, children of Israel in the wilderness, if they would look at that bronze serpent, they would be healed. And Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's the setup to John 3, 16. So here's the setup. Jesus said, just like God told Moses to put that bronze serpent on a pole so that anybody that looked at the serpent would be healed of a snake bite. Okay. And he said, just as that serpent was, that Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man's going to be lifted up. He's saying he's going to be lifted up on the cross. Now, why would he identify with a serpent? The serpent, isn't that a representation of the devil? Yes. Here's why. Because when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he was lifted up with our sin. God was judging him not for being the righteous holy, beloved Son of God, God was judging him because our sin came upon him, past, present, and future, the sin of humanity. And so he was hanging on the cross as a sinner, even though he had not sinned. It was with our sin. And so he was lifted up. And whenever we look, and this is 
uh, figuratively, whenever we look to Jesus uh, as being crucified on the cross, then we can be healed, we can be saved through that. So that's that whole typology. And Jesus is, you know, connecting the dots there. And so he says, uh, even, and so he ends this by saying that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So just as the people in Moses' day got healed of the serpent bite, the snake bite, we in our day get healed of the snake bite, meaning the devil's bite that caused Adam and Eve and all of us to sin. We get delivered from that. We become saved, that we have eternal life. Verse 16, 4, here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I think the biggest word in that verse is the word so. For God so loved the world. Now think about this. John is writing, and John walked around with Jesus as one of his top three disciples, Peter, James, and John. John knew Jesus so much. And now, these many years later, when he's writing this, his fondness, his love, his adoration, his appreciation, his respect, and his worship toward Jesus has only grown exponentially. And now, reminiscing and looking back on who this was, who was nailed to a cross, how precious he was, how pure-hearted he was, humble, how sacrificial he was, a giver, a server. And John looks back and says, his father gave him for us. See, so this is why John says, you need to understand the love of Father God. For God so loved the world. And of course, Jesus is the one saying it, but John is the one that's capturing it. He's the only one of the four gospel writers that captured this particular message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's also interesting to note that Jesus is aware of how much the Father loves us, loves the world, that he would give Jesus for us. And you can see with such a tremendous and huge sacrifice that the Father makes, why? People on the earth that don't appreciate, don't acknowledge, don't serve in reverence and have gratitude for this gift and want to love Jesus and receive Jesus and serve Jesus to the Father, that's a slap in the face. Do you realize what I've given? Do you realize who I've given so that you might be saved, my beloved son, who is precious, pure, selfless? And I give him, and so for people to disregard him, to not receive his love, it's a real slap in the face to God. And so you can understand you know, from God's perspective how, uh, how bothersome that is to him, that anybody would look upon his son with uh, some, with disrespect or esteeming him lightly, and especially with contempt. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, isn't this powerful? That whoever believes in him. See, just this one verse, among many, blows out of the water 
the wrong theology that says that Jesus only died for the elect. In other words, for those that God knew would accept him. It's not true. No, he died for the sins of the whole world, even though he knew the whole world would not accept him. But he wanted to make sure that anybody that wanted to accept him, their sins were wiped out. For God so loved the world, not just the elect. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, whoever, whoever what? Whoever from the whole world believes in him should not perish, but that but that he should have everlasting life. And then the next verse, just as important, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is giving this message. In other words, Jesus is crystal clear on why he was sent. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Not just the elect, that the world through him might be, have a chance to be saved. Verse 18, he who believes in him, Jesus, talking of himself, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemned here means that you are discounted and you are going to go to hell. Okay, so unless you, of course, repent before you die and receive the sacrifice of Jesus. But he said, these people are condemned. But he said, the son wasn't sent to condemn people. The son was sent that people might be saved. But if you don't believe in the son, you're going to be condemned and you'll end up in hell. Unnecessary. May that not happen to any of us. And then verse 19, and this is the condemnation. In other words, why would people be condemned? Here it is. This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. They see the light, they see the truth, they see what's right and wrong, they don't want it, because their deeds are evil. They want to keep doing what they're doing, even though they know it's wrong. Verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth... In other words, he who lives according to right and wrong and morality does the truth, comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So he goes on to say, John does, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, John, talking about John the Baptist, now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem. Uh, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of the some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, talking about Jesus, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, this is a humble man here. John the Baptist answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In other words, you can try to exalt yourself, promote yourself all you want to, but you're not going to get any, any part of God's kingdom or a place or a, an assignment by promoting yourself. Unless God gives it to you, it's not going to be yours. So he said, uh, 
A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. And of course, the bride is the church and the bridegroom is Jesus. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, that's John the Baptist, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is on uh, of the earth, excuse me, he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. In other words, John is saying, <laughs> Jesus is from heaven. He's above all of us. And he's from heaven, so he speaks at a whole different level than I speak. I'm speaking of very low-level things. Jesus, he's speaking of very high-level things. He goes on to say, he who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. In other words, he's speaking so high that about no one is able to understand and receive all the things that he is speaking to us. Thank God many of them were captured in Scripture so that when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the Holy Spirit could help us to understand these things. Verse 30, verse 38, uh, He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Excuse me, that was verse 33. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. In other words, God didn't just give Jesus a, a cup of the Holy Spirit. I mean, just poured the Holy Spirit out on him. He does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In other words, Jesus is the only way. And we'll see that again clearly in John chapter 6. Jesus is the only way to be saved. And so I love John speaking of his Lord like this, the one that he walked around with. But I also love to hear Jesus teach about himself and teach about the love of Father God. Well, precious chapter, chapter 3, but don't you miss chapter 4, because many more powerful truths in this next chapter. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.